0: Thank you. That was great. Praise the Lord. God bless all of you. God bless all of you and Merry Christmas to all of you as well. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Thank you, Pablo. And we will rejoice and be glad in Him. Amen, church. All right. I titled this message, The Seven Promises of Christmas. But as I was studying it out, and meditating on it, writing it out, uh, I had too much to share in one service. And so today it's going to be the Three Promises of Christmas. And next week, four additional promises of Christmas. So it's the seven promises of Christmas and two messages. That sound okay to you guys? The seven promises and two messages. I uh, checked out Entertainment Weekly website, and uh, they listed the top five Christmas movies. In their opinion, not exactly sure who all made this list. I agree with some of it, but not all of it, and so, so in descending order to from five to one to the best, or the top five to the top one, we'll start with number five, number five. Gee, I wonder which one, if I was to ask you today, what is your favorite Christmas movie? What is your favorite Christmas movie? Well, according to them, number five, it's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Well, I remember watching that as a kid growing up. I'm talking about the cartoon version, and uh, his heart would just grow and grow, and I thought that was great. So that's top number five. Number four is Elf. Elf. Now, that's a next-generation Christmas movie that they think is hilarious, and I never thought it was that funny, but they got it number four. Number four, and uh, these two are very secular uh, movies, Uh, no really mention of the true reason for the season in either one of those, although they have good morals, right? Uh, Number three, I I always look forward to this one as a kid growing up, and it was a Charlie Brown Christmas. Remember that? They had that as number three, and that? Obviously, uh, when Linus said, I'll tell you what the real meaning of Christmas is, and he read Luke's account of the Christmas story. I don't think they'd make a movie like that anymore and put it on uh, CBS or ABC or NBC, but they had that as number three, and I, I agree with that. That's a great one. Number two is a Christmas story about the boy that wanted the BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out. Very secular No religion in that movie either, although it can be very funny. I agree with that. And the top one, and I agree with this top one, and what do you think it is? Yeah, yeah. I I don't understand a word all of you are saying, but uh, I thought somebody might might have said, it's a wonderful life. Who said it's a wonderful life? Some of you. Who said something else? Yes. I said it was Home Alone. Home Alone? (laughs) Well, that is a pretty good one, right? That is a pretty good one. And uh, I think the best Christmas movie ever is uh, Die Hard. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) The edited version. (laughs) Uh, It's a Wonderful Life was number one. It's a wonderful life was number one and uh, that obviously it has a spirituality to it as he's praying and uh, he wants to die because if you know his dreams weren't realized and his life turned out to be a real mess he he made no real impact in the world and uh, God sent an angel named Clarence to show him what his life would be if he was never born and at the end of it he ends up uh, really uh, rejoicing in the life that God had given him and uh, the, the testimony at the very end is, no man is a failure who has friends. No man is a failure. And so every time you hear uh, uh, jingling a bell, you know that an angel got it swings. Totally unscriptural, but it's a great story, great moral to it by Jimmy Stewart. It's a wonderful life. I'm going to ask you to rate uh, the top three Christmas stories in the Bible. Matthew. Luke and John all have a Christmas account. I want you to tell me which one is your favorite. We'll start with Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. It reads as follows. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, And he called his name Jesus. That's Matthew's account of the Christmas story. Luke's account is as follows. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then John's account of the Christmas story is as follows. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Matthew's account, they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's a great one, isn't it? Matthew's account, who would say that that's the best Christmas account in the Scriptures? Nobody? Whoa, okay. Sorry, Matthew. That's a bummer. This is all the inspired Word of God, so we don't want to disrespect the Lord's account, right? Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel account, uh, they were there for, you know, for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, Ratham and swan and clothes. How many like that one? That's your favorite one. All right. How many have John? As their favorite. The word was made flesh and dwelt. I think John's account wins. So interesting. I would have voted for, uh, well, I think I would have voted for Luke's account. Well, the purpose of my message today on the seven promises of Christmas is to fill our hearts with joy and hope by believing in these seven wonderful promises found in Isaiah's account of the Christmas story, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, verse 6. Putting those two together. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. God, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The seven promises of Christmas. I want to start with this right here. In verse 2, it says, the people walked in darkness, but they saw a great light. Those that lived in the shadow of death upon them, light has shined. Promise number one. Jesus will bring light into your darkness. And boy, are we living and dwelling in lots of darkness these days. Darkness around the world, darkness in our nation. We know that we're living in last days and perilous times have come and kingdom shall rise against kingdom and wars and rumors of wars and famine and earthquakes and pestilence and persecution. False Christ, Antichrist, all that's happening. It'll be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot, where iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold darkness. Tremendous darkness we're facing in our nation and ultimately around the world. But the Bible says that people who walked in darkness, isn't that interesting? You can live in darkness. You can sit in darkness. You can walk in darkness. The Bible says there's a promise upon his first coming that they will see a great light. See a great light. To me, darkness speaks of despair. It speaks of depression. Depression. It speaks of deception, and it ultimately speaks of death. The devil's kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, but God's kingdom is the kingdom of light, the Scripture says. Light speaks to me of truth, hope, joy, salvation. What is the light as it shines in our hearts. One pastor put it this way, light is the brightness of Jesus shining into your soul. The brightness of Jesus shining into your soul. I remember when I first believed, truly believed with what I call saving faith. And oh, the light of Jesus just shined in my dark, dark heart. And all of a sudden, I knew I believed, I understood, I had a relationship with God, light came in, came flooding in, my eyes, as as it were, were open to spiritual truth, I knew that God was real, that Christ had come, that my sins were forgiven, that I had a promise of heaven, that my name was written down, all of a sudden, light, light, oh, how wonderful that was. Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his light. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts. But whether men will see or not, Christ is the true Son and the light of the world. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus. So, having read that, let me put it to you this way. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the universal light. Jesus is the only light. The true light, the universal light, for he's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. He's the light for Every person, right? You know, some would say that Jesus is the light to the Western culture, to the Western world, to those that live in England and Canada and America. But for those that are in the East and those that are in Asia, they have their God, they have their religion, they have their faith. There's many paths to God. Who's to say that our light is better than their light? But the Bible says that Jesus is the only light, The light of the world, the universal light, he is the true light. When we say he is the only light and that he is the true light, what we're saying is is that we believe in what we call the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Or as Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6, no man comes to the Father but through me the Bible is very clear about this. He that has the Son has the Father, and if you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. You can only know the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says this. This is the condemnation that the light is coming to the world, and that light is Jesus, that Jesus is coming to the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's interesting, isn't it? God sent his son. Jesus came as the light from God to the world. And the Bible says that men loved darkness rather than the light. And, boy, if you read the gospel account, it's not as if, All the world was believing upon Jesus when he came. But the Bible says he came into his own, and his own received him not. When Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, I think it had boiled down to 120 in the upper room. Straight and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it, the Bible says. But men love darkness. Now, why do they love darkness? Because their eyes aren't open. There's pleasure in sin, and they love their sin, and they'd rather have their sin than embrace the true God who is found in the person of Jesus Christ. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And that's what happens when you are in sin and you're loving your sin, and there by the grace of God, your heart is open, and the light shines, and you truly believe, and the Bible says, your evil deeds are exposed. All of a sudden, you are aware, man, I have sinned and come short, I am fallen, I need to repent, I need forgiveness, I need God to somehow save me from this mess that I've made of myself. It's interesting, One of the reasons or one of the ways you know that you have embraced the light is now you hate the darkness. Whereas before you found Jesus, you loved the darkness. But all of a sudden, you now hate the darkness. You don't want to sin. It grieves you when you do sin. You want to know God. You want to walk in righteousness. You want to know Jesus. You want his light and his truth to come into your heart. Somebody say amen to that. The scripture says, but he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And so light is related to truth, which is related to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But the Bible says, they that walk in darkness saw a great light. And this is the first promise. Jesus can shine light into your darkness. Now, I know if you're a believer, the light of the world has shined into your heart, but I want you to know that there could be dark corners in your heart, maybe dark corners in your personal life that you need the light to shine in, dark corner of deception, a dark corner of deceit, a dark corner of what you would call maybe a hidden sin, a dark corner of shame or of guilt. The Bible says light can shine. Or maybe it's just not in you personally. Maybe it's a dark area in your family. They that walked in darkness light has shined. They saw a great light. And maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what I need? I need light to shine into my marriage. Or maybe light to shine into my family. There's darkness there. There's deception there. There's lying. There's maybe hate or anger or unforgiveness. Or there's broken down relationships. Or there's a lack of love. Or there's confusion. There seems to be darkness in my family. Or darkness in my marriage, and I need the promise of Christmas. I need God's light who is found in Jesus to somehow shine and make my world come bright again. The Bible says that Jesus is the bright and morning star. It tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He's the bright and morning star. Now, that, that bright morning star is the star that shines the brightest As the day begins to dawn, it's the brightest star in the sky as the day begins to dawn. It signifies a new day, a new beginning. And may I say this, Jesus as the light is like that morning star. His light shines brighter than any other light. And may I say this, he really is the only light. Truly the only light. All other lights are false lights filled with ultimately darkness and deception. And so he is the brightest of all lights, and his light signifies the dawn of a brand new day. And so when his light shines in the dark corners of your heart, it means that you can begin again. It means there are hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Tomorrow. I love this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning, amen to that? The Bible tells us in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 2, it tells us that Jesus is the son of righteousness. Once again, using that beautiful metaphor of light, light, with healing in his wings, Sometimes people think, you know what, the darkness that's in my life or in my family or in my heart or in that area of sin or weakness, man, it's just too great. It's too strong. It's too powerful. You know, I've tried to bring light to it, but it just doesn't seem to win out. Listen to what the Bible says about darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1, verse 5. Bible is very clear that no matter how dark the darkness is, all you need is light, and the light will dispel the darkness. The darkness does not drown out or cover over or smother over the light. Rather, the light dispels the darkness. The light is stronger than, greater than, more powerful than any darkness. So that tells me that Jesus is better than, greater than, stronger than, more powerful than any sin, any confusion, any deception. In any darkness that might be in your heart, your marriage, or your family. And can I say this? That it's greater than any darkness that's in the world. That's in the world. Hallelujah. So that's Christmas promise number one. What a great promise that Jesus can share light into your darkness. Number two, Jesus will give mercy and grace in your time of need. I don't see that in this passage. Well, because you're not looking at it the way I looked at it. And so it says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When I see a child being born and a son being given, I see the incarnation. I see Jesus being brought into this earth as a man, but I also see Jesus being brought into this world as God. God in the flesh. A child is born, that speaks about his humanity. The Son of God was born as a baby. We celebrate that as Christmas. But also when I see a son is given, the Son of God was given by the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And as a son of the Father, that means Jesus is the Son of God. A son is given speaks of his deity. A child is born speaks of his humanity. What does that mean for us? Mercy and grace in time of need. Companion scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Just hold it fast. What's your confession? I believe in Jesus Christ. That's your confession. Hold it fast. Don't let your grip loosen. Hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A child is born, his humanity. A son is given, his deity. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, combine these two truths. Reading that again, seeing then that we have a great high priest, a high priest is taken from men, in the Old Testament, but it's all caps, high priest, meaning this is God. So high priest speaks of both humanity and deity. Who has passed through the heavens. Well, that speaks of Jesus' deity as he ascended at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was a name, meaning Savior, a common name given to a child. That speaks of his humanity, but he was the Son of God. That speaks of his deity. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. A high priest who sympathizes. That speaks about humanity, that God sent a son who became a man so that he might be touched with the feelings of. That's what that word sympathize means. He's touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. But the Bible says, but was in all points tempted. That's humanity, because God can never be tempted with sin. He's God. Jesus was God. He can't be tempted, because God can't be tempted with sin. But yet Jesus was more than God. He was fully man, as well as fully God. And as man, he was tempted in all points as we are. It speaks of his humanity. Yet without sin. Well, a man can't live sinless. This has to be God. God in the flesh was perfect, the holy Son of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne. Well, who sits on a throne? None but God. Jesus is God, a throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What a great passage of Scripture. As it speaks about Jesus' humanity, it speaks about his deity, and it's all wrapped up in this one person. And because it's all wrapped up in him, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he was victorious, he conquered sin, but also he was tempted. He can be a merciful and faithful, sympathetic high priest to us and help us in our temptations. Amen? The child could be born because the humanity of Jesus had a starting point. There was a time when humanity was not added to his deity. The Son had to be given because the second person of the Trinity is eternal and existed forever as the Son, even before adding humanity to his deity. I realize this is You know, very challenging. You know, Bible scholars and pastors, I mean, they write books about uh, Jesus, fully God and fully man. You know what they call it in Bible college? The hypostatic union. Trying to understand the hypostatic union. Well, we won't even get into that. Listen to this, if Jesus were not fully man, he could not stand in the place of sinful man and be a substitute for the punishment man deserves. That's true. If he were not fully God, his sacrifice would be insufficient. If Jesus is not fully God and fully man, we are lost in sin. Very, very true, isn't it? Very true. Now listen to this. Jesus is not a man who became God. Jesus is not God and dwelling a man. Jesus is not God appearing to be a man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Somebody say amen to that. As a man, Jesus expressed or experienced human emotions such as grief, sorrow, distress, compassion, love, anger. And so we have all kinds of emotions, don't we? all kinds of emotions, and sometimes our emotions turn sinful. But being emotional is not necessarily sinful. Jesus was a man that experienced human emotions. As a man, Jesus also experienced human needs. He was hungry. He grew thirsty. He suffered fatigue and had to sleep. As a man, Jesus was tempted at all points as we are. Man, that's interesting. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Well, we have all kinds of temptations, don't we, that come at us? Temptations to anger, temptations to pride, temptations to lust, temptations for for pride, for position, for power, for for whatever it might be, right? We suffer all these temptations. Are you telling me that Jesus, when he was on this earth for those 33 years, suffered every single temptation possible to man. Is that what that means? I look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says this, For all that is in the world, so all that is in the world, now it's going to talk about these temptations. It says all the temptations of the world are found in three areas. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Every temptation that you experience can somehow be found in or find its root in or its origination in either the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. The pride of life speaks about position and power. The lust of the eyes speaks about possessions and the lust of the flesh speaks about passions, desires. You see, and those temptations that we face, the Scripture tells us all those temptations that are in the world can be boiled down or or or, or worked out into these three areas. And I believe it's in these three areas that Jesus was tempted. So he was tempted in all points: the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yet the Bible says, without any single sin. So what does that mean for us today? It's the promise, you see, the second promise of Christmas, that Jesus was born of child and a given as a son, fully man, fully God, and because of that, he's a merciful and faithful high priest that when we come to him, we can find mercy and grace in the time of our need, In the time of our need, in Hebrews, the Bible says the time of our need is when we are being tempted. He is able to give us mercy and grace in the time of our need. Because Jesus walked this earth as God, as man, and as God, he overcame the temptation. And as man, he experienced the temptation so that he then can give us everything we need In our temptation. If we fail in that temptation, what does he give us? He gives us mercy. He gives us compassion. He gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. If we are resisting temptation, we come to him. Oh, Lord, help me with this. He gives us everything we need because as God in the flesh, he can give us power. He can give us understanding. He can give us divine wisdom. He can provide a way of escape. He gives us everything we need to overcome it. And if we come to it, he gives us everything we need to continue on beyond that because of his gracious, merciful, faithful forgiveness in our lives. Amen, church? Promise number two, a child is born, he is a man. A son is given, he is God. And because of that, everything we need, what do we do? We come to his throne. Well, you know what? If you're a sinner and you're in great need and you have real Issues in your life, the last thing you want to do is come to a throne. Because a throne speaks of power and a throne speaks of authority. If I come to the throne with all my need and all my failure and all my darkness and all my sins, and if I come to a throne of a holy God who has all power, he's going to crush me. Yet the Bible tells us it's a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Mercy, God doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace, God gives you more than what you deserve, right? Wonderful, just have your perspective on things. But aren't you so thankful as a child of God that you can approach God's holy, powerful, authoritative throne and find grace and mercy again and again and again? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Promise number two, there is a child given, a, a child born, a son given, so we can find mercy and grace in the time of our need. Reading about Jesus being tempted as God. Yet in spite of the fact that he is our God and creator, Jesus came to earth to live as we live so he can sympathize with our human failings, facing the full extent of temptation, yet always choosing to not sin. In fact, the sinless one knows the force of temptation in a way that we who do sin do not feel. We give in before the temptation has fully spent itself. Only he who does not yield knows its full force. So I mean, you might be saying, "Well, Jesus, he was tempted, but he was God. It was snap. It was easy. It was easy." Listen, it's much easier on us in this sense. The Lord limits the strength and the length of our temptation because of our weakness. He remembers our frame, that we are but dust. And he will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able. Amen? So God in his mercy limits the strength and length of our temptation. Did Jesus have limitations because he was a sinner in dealing with lust and evil passions? Absolutely not. He was the perfect holy son of God. Therefore, there was no limiting of satanic temptation he felt the full weight of it the full power of it the full strength of it and yet without sin oh thank God for our wonderful Savior and so does he understand yes he does does he understand everything we're going through yes he does because God became man became flesh the word and dwelt among us number three The third promise of Christmas is found in verse 6. The government will be upon his shoulder. Now, obviously, this is talking about human government, human authority, the nations. God is so big that the world is but a drop in a bucket. The governments, kings, all those in authority, they're all ultimately under his feet. The earth is his footstool. We understand all that, but I want to make it practical to us. The third promise is this. Jesus will bear your burden. He'll bear your burden. The government will be upon his shoulder. Whatever it is that is weighing you down, that has burdened you, that's a weight on you, did you know that you can cast all your care upon the Lord and he will care for you? Did Jesus not say, come unto me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light? So if you are heavy laden today, if you are burdened with a weight today, the Bible says the government is upon his shoulders. Aren't you glad that Jesus has broad, wide, strong shoulders so that I can place all my burden on him and you can place all your burden on him and you can place your burden on him? Matter of fact, he can bear the weight of all of our burdens. He can carry them. He has all power. He's the mighty God. He is God Almighty. I reminded myself of the great book by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. Read that back when I was in Bible college. And uh, remember Pilgrim, he's weighed down with this burden. He's walking and this burden just keeps getting harder and harder. And He starts climbing up a hill and he feels the weight of this burden. And on the top of the hill is the cross. And this is the account in Pilgrim's Progress. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat Ascending, And upon that place stood a cross, and a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders, and fell off his back, and began to tumble, and so continued to do, till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, where it fell in, and I saw it no more." Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow, and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. That's a picture of wonderful salvation, right? This guy, he's all burdened down, he's climbing up the hill, and when he looks at the cross which is the death of Christ, that burden, which is the burden or the weight of sin, just rolls off, tumbles down the hill, and lands in an empty tomb. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Hallelujah. I don't know if you remember the day you gave your heart to Jesus and when that weight of sin was rolled off. And you know, after you're saved... Sometimes you have weights upon you that if you would only look to the cross, to his provision, to his sacrifice, to the power of that cross, which is really ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit given to us. These weights, these burdens can roll off and find themselves in an empty tomb covered over by the grace of God, never to be born by us again. The government will be upon his shoulders Jesus will bear our burden. Burdens can be the weight of sin and failures. Maybe that's you today. Burdens can be the weight of daily responsibilities. How about this burden? That's a big burden for many of us. The weight of being in control. I just need to control things to make it happen. Give that to God. God never intended for you to be Lord and sovereign, right? Burns, how about the weight of being right with God? Man, I try so hard, I try so hard, I try so hard. Stop trying. Start trusting. Burden, how about this one? The weight of trials and tests. Yes, prolonged trials. The testing of our faith can really be a weight on us as God is proving us, approving us, Improving us. How about this one? The weight of expectations and comparisons. Expectations and compare. I expected things to be different. I thought it would work out this way. Or comparison. You compare yourself with somebody else and you find yourself so wanting and you wished you were different and it becomes a huge weight. How about this? The weight of perfectionism where it's more than just trying to be excellent before God, but really trying to be perfect before God. Did you know you are perfect before him? He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In your standing, when God looks at you, he sees you perfect in Christ, fully forgiven, robed in righteousness. But I want you to know, walking in that perfection, well, one day you'll be in heaven and you'll be confirmed in righteousness, no more sin. But until we get there, listen, we'll never measure up if we try to compare ourselves with the law and commands and expectations we put upon ourselves or that we feel God is putting upon us. And so what can we do? We can lay that burden upon his shoulders. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28, I'm sorry, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Three promises, light to shine in your darkness, mercy and grace in your time of need, laying your burden upon the Lord and let Jesus carry that burden. Those are the three great promises. Bow your heads today, bow your heads today. Light shining in darkness, Light shining in darkness. And as I was praying, I I want want to stress this one here in the 9 a.m. service. The darkness in the family. Darkness in the family. The light can shine in the darkness in your family. And if you have darkness in your family, then obviously the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. And you're sensing it right now. This word is for me. The Bible says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overpower it. We need to believe, we need to believe that the light, which is Jesus, that when he shows up, he can dispel the darkness. Nobody ever says, open the door and let the darkness come in. They always say, open the door and let the light come in. Let the light come in. The light has the power. Can you open up the door of your family and let the light in? Can you be filled with more faith today? and say, Lord, I've been doubting the power that is in you of light to shine in this darkness. It seems like sometimes the darkness simply remains. Oh, let's believe God for light to shine in darkness, the darkness in families. Maybe there's a darkness in your heart, the corners of your heart, a room that you've yet opened, You have yet to open to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. You kept that door shut. A lot of junk in there. A lot of dead things in there. You've kept it shut. Let the light in. Come into my heart, Jesus. Jesus, be Lord in this area. You that are going through great temptations, maybe the help you need today is forgiveness. Forgiveness for your sins. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest so that when you approach him, you can find mercy and grace. Maybe you are in need today For his compassionate forgiveness. Oh, he can't forgive this? He can't forgive. Yes, he can. Let him in. Receive your forgiveness. And maybe some of you are burdened. Burdened. It's a load on your shoulders, as it were. And it weighs you down. Man, you're always thinking, thinking, thinking about how you're going to figure this out. Or you're worried and stressed about how you're going to make sense of this or provide there. Or do this or do that. You're burdened. The government is upon his shoulders. If Jesus' shoulders are broad enough, wide enough, strong enough for the governments of the world. He's certainly wide enough, strong enough, broad enough for your life. And your burdens Give them to Him Give them to Him Can we do that this morning? Just give God Give it to God Lay your burden down Lay your burden at the foot of the cross Lay it down Hmm. Oh Holy Spirit I I pray that you would go after anyone here today in this 9 a.m. service that needs Jesus to be their savior. Perhaps you're here today and you need Jesus to be your wonderful savior today. You need to believe upon him. You need to believe upon him. My friend, open up your heart to Jesus. Receive Christ today as your savior. Don't dwell in darkness. Don't walk in darkness. Don't live in darkness any longer. Let the light shine into your heart today. Be saved. Be forgiven. Be reconciled to God. Be made right with God today. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Would you be saved today? Would you lay down your pride? Lay down your ways, as it were, trying to make it through life on your own and doing your thing, and this is what I believe, this is what I think. This is Lay all that down and say, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I need a new way of living. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. Is that you today? I believe we have people in this service that need to be saved. You need to be saved. And if that is you, if you need to be saved today, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up so I can see it. You need to be saved today. It's right back there. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else, you need to be saved today. Just raise that hand just right now in the presence of the Lord. Lift it high. I'm going to pray for you, all right? that the Lord will come into your life, that you might truly know. Anybody else? I just feel strongly to give this altar call. Had a young lady there in the back raised her hand. She needs a savior. Is there anybody else here in the sanctuary They say, Pastor Tim, that is me. I also need a savior. Just lift your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Don't be timid. This is your time this is your time. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to worship the Lord. I'd love to pray for you that raised your hand. If you, you that raised your hand, if you lift up your eyes at me, I want to pray with you, and you can receive Christ, all right?